Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to Ninety-One Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at NintyOneDonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys. The Inquisition. Let's begin the Inquisition. Look out, Sam. We have a mission. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are joined as always with our co-host, producer, and friend, Matt Kelly. We are going to dive into History of the World Part 1. Let's go. Say yes, say yes, say yes, don't be dull. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step. It won't be Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. All right, Gelsey. That if we've done this correctly, if Ooh. we, I think we have. But if we've done this correctly, we are releasing this on the day that the long-awaited History of the World Part Two comes out we have no clue if it's good or bad but it's, mel brooks is involved so it's gonna be good like he could literally just good. put his finger on anything and i'm like it's gonna be a masterpiece i mean just me no the wrong. people involved outside of him i'm like all right you're giving me wanda sykes i expect it to be good like i i've very rarely been disappointed by her mm -hmm. everyone tied to it makes me excited they they all have a good track record but i figured hey let's talk about the one that started it all history <laughs> of the world part one that's right. Which yeah. was kind of in my in my Mel Brooks watching. I think I was pretty late to this one comparatively. Same. Like, well, well, I saw it as a kid because my dad, who I always acknowledge as my uh, guru of humor, and he did a very good job. Thanks, Dad. Hey, what's up? Um, he did introduce. We were a huge Mel Brooks family, and so he was like, "You have to watch History of the World Part One." And I did see it, but it wasn't one that we had on our like rotating watching Rolodex of Mel Brooks films. So I'd seen it and there were like the big joke hits that I always remembered. But re-watching it for this, there was a lot of things I didn't remember. And I was I appreciate it so much more as an adult, obviously, for so many reasons. It's quite genius. It's definitely one of those films where there are the lines that everyone remembers, right? There's there's the certain segments that have stood the test of time in such a big way. The mm -hmm. 15 Ten Commandments bit is obviously a classic. You know, the Inquisition song, I would say, is another one that has kind of like stood the test of time. But there are so many 
bits that I think are like master classes that mm-hmm. that I don't think enough. I think the scene where Mel Brooks is the philosopher speaking in front of oh, so uh it's with Dom DeLuise playing the king. Like there's just so many moments when he goes to kind of unemployment. Yeah. What do you do? I'm a stand-up philosopher. You're a bullshitter. Yeah. Did you bullshit last week? No. Did you try to bullshit? <laughs> yes. And the yes. way like that just notebooks he has in his face. I was like dying. And one of my this is like a big controversial. This, I mean, the whole reason Mel Brooks made this film to start with is to point out, you know, the things that we were taught in history that are kind of wrong. Like, and I love shit like that. Like, I just downloaded a book called Things Your History Teacher Didn't Teach You or Tell You About. And it's I kind of like that approach. It's like we you do read things in a textbook that are wrong. And so by not only um pointing it out you know he's kind of like showing you the truth but doing it in obviously a very mel brooksy humorous way but by being in that over-the-top humor way it does kind of just like put everything on the table um and he even says that about like the inquisition he's talking about how like he's like you have to make it funny like something so hang on what has he said um yeah he thought it was like very important to laugh at that and, you know, obviously he's not a stranger to risque material because it's, you know, with the producers, he writes a musical, which is the springtime for Hitler in Germany, which shows just kind of like how he goes about doing that. And um, he said he had a lot of write-ins from rabbis after he did his dance routine on the Spanish Inquisition. But um, he felt like it was important to turn these historical tragedies into jokes. He says, comedy brings religious persecutors, dictators, and tyrants to their knees faster than any other medium, which I yeah. agree. I, I love well, it. I- I've talked about this countless times. I think that one of the most brilliant decisions he made in this movie was casting himself as a philosopher who talks about philosophy in the way of a stand-up comic. Because mm-hmm. I think now we look at it and like by today's standards, comedy is our philosophy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like you look at even at the time he was making this in the 80s and it's like, George Carlin was bringing a lot of philosophy mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the conversation. Like I would say Lenny Bruce, like, yeah. like these like comics who were, who were groundbreaking and shaking up the establishment in, mm-hmm. in a way, but like they were also talking about religion and faith and politics and all of these like taboo topics. topics. Yeah, yeah. These topics you weren't supposed to talk about. And like, pointing out the flaws in that and and which i think is their job as a comedian yes i i think that one of the most brilliant stand-up bits george carlin did and it's and it's one that i've seen be taken out of context right like it's it's one where it's very easy to miss what he's saying in the joke Mm -hmm. and a lot of people latch onto it saying like see george carlin saying that there's no such thing as global warming when that's not what he's saying in the bit he talks about how like you know the this planet has survived all of this stuff like not using a plastic straw is not going to kill this earth this earth will be fine yes, and then he goes it, but you however <laughs> like it's like yeah it's like i heard that point, one yeah it's like his point isn't like we're not killing the earth his point is whatever we're doing we're 
killing ourselves. The yes. earth is going to survive. The, yeah. The Doesn't he kind of say humanity. like, how, how do we think we're so selfish and we think we're so important that we could kill the earth when he's like, the earth will be here. We yeah, won't. Earth, yeah. We won't. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love that so, bit. It's so good. It's, but, but it, it is. he's bringing up and then for that to be in the eighties, him bringing up that topic of like, yeah, yeah, it's, if it's, we it's don't slow down what now. we're doing, this earth will just straight up reject us mm-hmm. at a certain point. Cause it survived dinosaurs and volcanoes. And it can handle the peskiness of humanity. So, like, we'll live, if we yeah. don't, no, very if we don't ship off, they're going to ship us out anyway. Yeah, and I think I think putting any of these um, topics on, say, trial as a comedian is it's a perfect light and kind of what Mel Brooks said, and and he does it beautifully, putting history kind of on trial with this, which is why I'm excited yeah. to see part two to kind of see. But you know, and it's it got a very like not anonymous vote with the critics because it was this like uh, uh, like it did very well in the box office it grossed 31.6 million dollars uh it did have a budget of 11 million dollars to make which was a higher budget for uh any mel brooks movies he previously like the inquisition scene alone cost a million dollars to make that scene and that was more than the full budget to make the producers yeah. Right. definitely had a bigger thing going and it did really well but you know the critics were kind of like uh-uh, you know it because it just even lines that like kind of caused an uproar but made me like this made me laugh so hard this time is when they're in rome and he goes and how does the senate vote fuck the poor i was like <laughs> crying on my couch i don't know why the other day like it was that much funnier this week but it really was it's just it's his timing also then uh, you know bringing up everything and it's it's just beautifully done i mean we all know did I'm you a ever fan, did you so i never knew until i was researching for this the joke of the name like i understood that like history yeah. of the world part one was like he never really intended to make a sequel but i didn't realize that it was actually a joke on volume play. one yeah the history yeah, of the, the world the, volume one by volume sir one. walter raleigh Raleigh? Yeah, Sir Wal- Walter Raleigh, who intended to make more volumes and then just never did. <laughs> so, is- I do love, I appreciate at the end of this film how, like, keep an eye out for History of the World Part 2 featuring, and that they actually filmed everything as, like, a teaser for Part 2. And they never <laughs> remembered that um, the Jews in Space excerpt is actually obviously becomes later the tune for robin hood men and tights yeah we're, men, men and we're tights. jews we're jews in space and i was like holy shit <laughs> which mel brooks writes all of his own music if you don't know that yeah he, i never has, remember i always forget about the viking funeral being one of the things in the coming attractions but the hitler on ice is one oh god that hitler is always, on ice like, might have i mean as a as a jewish girl <laughs> myself any any hitler joke lands solidly with me which is why but, i love the producers but i was dying it was just like only and only mel Brooks could pull that off. Like I really feel only, like only. there's so much shit that only Mel could do, and that's why I love him. But what I wanted to talk about with the comedy part, and we'll we'll kind of follow the whole film from front to back in a second. But the bit that still is so funny to me is Dom DeLuise as the Emperor, Emperor Nero, Nero, when he's money bath, money bath, <laughs> like like he's demanding the money bath, and then there's the the line where he says something about a big fat pig and mm-hmm. he's got the apple in his mouth mm-hmm. and his with it still his mother goes did he say big fat pig <laughs> he goes he did he- sire was he talking about me i think so sire oh it's like that little sigh is it's, so good <laughs> what's so great about this movie is the cast 
is, I mean, again, I'm going to just praise Mel Brooks. There's no Mel Brooks movie that has a bad cast. He no. has the best collection of comedians always. But this lineup specifically is just like banger after banger and not one person doesn't have the most brilliant comedic timing. It's yeah. not one. I mean, and and we can kind of go into it. Like you said, like we can, let's go through the film and, and maybe talk about it and I can give you my fun little facts that I have along the way. Perfect. All right. So we'll start with, you know, the, uh, sorry, there's one other thing I do want to quickly bring up according to Wikipedia. Um, he, he did say that the, the inspiration of the film came in 1979. Uh, and I have the quote here. He said, I was walking across the parking lot at 20th century Fox on my way to the office when one of the grips who had worked on high anxiety shouted to me from a truck and said, Hey Mel, what's next? Are you planning something big? And from out of the blue, the biggest title I could think of popped into my mind and said, yes, the biggest movie ever made. It's called The History of the World. And someone else in the truck said, how can you cover the whole world in just a single movie? And I yelled back, you're right. It'll just be part one of the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, so that's 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 the setup of, of where we are. We kick this off. Uh, with the Stone Age. Yes. Of course, you have to start there. Of course, yes, the Stone Age. But before we actually talk about getting into the Stone Age, um, I'm going to talk about the narration. So he brought in Orson Welles to narrate this. And for those of you who don't know who that is, he's a very famous actor, director, producer, most famously known for starring in producing and directing Citizen Kane. Did, need I say more? He also voiced one of the... Uh, uh, what are they called? The Transformers, didn't he? That was one of his last like roles, last things before he died. Which I was, I was such a random. I don't know why I'm saying that, but I read that and I was like, oh no shit! I actually haven't seen any of those he, movies. Um, but he also has a very iconic voice. Yo, very uh, deep. I mean, you can hear it in this movie that, and he was he, married to Rita Hayworth so, at one point. Didn't know that. So the big thing with him that I always connect is because I was a kid in the '90s who watched cartoons. Um, the brain in Pinky and the Brain is inspired by Orson Welles. Oh, Wilson's I thought voice, it was him. I was like, fucked. wait, what? Yeah, no, 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 no. He was long dead before. That's then, what I thought. Yes, I was like, I, yeah, the character is based on Orson Welles's very unique delivery <laughs> of of speech, which is why he um, wanted to bring him in for this movie. But um, so Brooks figured, you know, he's going to come in and it's going to take about a week to record everything. And he's like, okay, budget wise, he'll probably be about five grand a day, take about five to eight days. So he paid him, um, Orson Welles agreed to this. So he paid him 25 grand up front. Orson Welles came in and by like f almost lunchtime, but he said by three or 4 PM, they had done everything. And he, because he only <laughs> needed one take per, like yeah. he would just do the take and he'd be like, okay, that was perfect. Moving on. Yeah. Okay, it was perfect. And by the end of the day, he's like, fuck, <laughs> I could have just paid that, you $5,000 and not paid you're you 25. A, and he's just like, schmuck. You're bringing in a dude who's like first 20 years of his career was doing radio, live radio audio dramas. Like that's on Brooks. Brooks should have been like, hey, this guy's a pro when it comes to voices, doing yeah. voiceover Yeah, and I think that's why he like knew that. And he's like, hey, what was I thinking? You know, like, <laughs> but I, I do love that. That's that's a little, got to get the professional. But yes, let's go to the Stone Age and the Cavemen. Um, 
fun the the lead caveman was actually played by Mel Brooks's former boss Sid Caesar. Sid Caesar. Yeah, yeah. and he hired Brooks back um in the late 1949 season to write uh jokes for the Admiral Broadway Review, a short-lived NBC variety show. And then after that show ended, Brooks joined Caesar's next program staff, Your Show of Shows. So um he kind of sees him as his mentor and he often Brooks will say no Sid Caesar, no Mel Brooks. So he gives him a lot of credit for becoming who he is. And um, he kind of gave his honor back to him by giving him a huge role in his 1976 film, Silent Movie. And then he gave him this this role of the chief caveman in this one, which I think is a kind of a, a cool like little throwback to, to have someone yeah. give you so much as a mentor and then give them back by honoring them as giving them roles. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. And so the caveman segment has some some bits that I absolutely love. I love the the first artist leading to the first art critic, critic and pees on uh, it. Where he just pees all over it. But honestly, the thing that I remember the most about the caveman segment is as a guy who loves like weird practical effects, the dinosaur that eats the one dude is a very impressive like it is and i do love that he's trying so hard to make him laugh and they're all just sitting there and then like just gets eaten and they all just bust off i was like that's <laughs> it's so true it's great and it's i i think the bits in the caveman scene are very funny but it probably is the segment that i laugh the least yes it's it's very quick and i think it's also i mean this is a chicken or the egg type mm -hmm. situation a little bit but it's also like I feel like those jokes, I'm sure this was the first time that a lot of those jokes were done, but I feel like there's only so much caveman material that you can do. So yeah, like, knock the wife on the head, drag her. People. Yeah, kind of. It's Yeah, it's like, like we've been exposed to these same bits over and over and over mm -hmm. again since 1981 that it all just kind of feels like too familiar and yeah. tame. I do like the now. hallelujah chorus, them like hitting them with yes. stones to get them to sing. I think that was, that's kind of a very <laughs> unique and I was laughing. I was like, that's funny, but... Um, yeah. And then obviously we kind of already talked about it, but that moves us to the old Testament, which that, um, I read was not originally put in like Mel Brooks was planning on kind of skipping over to the Bible, just being like, let's go to cavemen to the Roman empire and like not touch the Bible. But then he had the set from the prehistoric cavemen, um, era and that kind of came to him that he's like, actually we could do a little Moses thing here, which is probably one of the most iconic I moments of this movie. I would say it is the moment that pe like, I think that if you mention the 10 commandments, sorry, the 10 commandments, if you mention history of the world to people, they will immediately be like, like the, the 15, ten. My favorite is the oi, oi. <laughs> I love it. It's and just of course, tying it back moment. to his friends though, bringing in his friend, Carl Reiner to be the voice of God in that segment as well. So mm -hmm. like, this is, this is both, an assembly of some of his best friends and some like new contacts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's a nice, it's a nice mix. Which I, yeah. I'm going to kind of jump out of chronological order just for the second, just because we're talking about Moses. So I'm just going to jump to the future, a little Moses yeah. that he does, which I love the kind of parting of the seas mini to, to help them escape. And the kind of very stoic and that he's actually being held up with a gun. And he's yeah. like, all right. I just, you know, it's just such a like <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid fucking bit. It's, and I laughed my ass off. So here's the other thing that we have to talk about with this. Cause I think I'm trying to think, I'm pretty sure this is the, this is the only movie Mel Brooks has made that is like 
a sketch comedy anthology series. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything else, it's a through line. It's a it, movie. It, it's, like a- <laughs> it's a movie. This is this is like in the same vein as like a Kentucky Fried movie or like like those yeah. types of films that pop up every once in a while. But it is really cool that instead of these all being these individual standalone bits, like by the end of the movie, they all converge into this weird hybrid of time for like the big getaway. I I love that about that. I think that that is very ahead of its time. Now we make movies all the time, like a love actually or whatever, where it's telling multiple people's stories, but like they all converge. But like, Mm -hmm. this was kind of one of the earlier examples of that old Testament and stone age are both very short though. Yes. Then we get into Roman empire and this is, we've touched on this a little bit, but this is like, this is like 30 minutes of brilliance. I could watch a whole movie just, in the Roman Empire, I wish world. it was it's... longer because the cast here that we're getting—I mean, again, we've got Ron Carey, Dom DeLuise, of course, my number one comedic hero, Madeline Kahn. So She's, good. And I—I I was watching another interview with Mel Brooks, and he was like—I mean, obviously, he has nothing to say but praise of her, but he's like, she is such a gift to the world. He's like, her timing is perfect, and and it is. It's she her. I don't know that there's a better comedian with more beautiful timing than Madeline Kahn. I also feel like I've used Madeline Kahn clips to describe you. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, and I kind of think she's my spirit animal. I think that's why I love her so much. Every uh, time The most she- recent one was tied to this one because we still, I still didn't know if we were recording this week or not. So I, I sent Gelsey waiting for Gelsey's answer on if we're recording like, and then it was her doing yes, the no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes, no, no, no. I used to post that on my social media and say me swiping through Tinder. <laughs> yes, no, 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 yes, no. It's so good. I, I My favorite, I mean, her, her entrance of and this. And then the being, high note, the yes, yes, yes. Like it's, it's that, and her face too. It's, it's just, she is perfection to me if i could be any woman in the world i think i would always have to answer madeline khan but her entrance in this movie is probably one of my favorite parts of the entire film is when they're carrying her what are those called the little beds that they got carried on oh i have no clue i, don't know I what just that's literally would say like a little bed like that, a you know they have the four posts that they're carrying her through the yeah. town and it's like the queen or whatever and when they're stomping left right left right she's stop can we get on the same foot? My tits are falling off. Like I was just in stitches laughing. And I was like, this is the most brilliant, perfect entrance. And I wouldn't expect anything less from her. Let's talk a bit about Gregory Hines. So he plays um, Josephus, the Ethiopian Mm -hmm. slave, which he does just beautifully. His little like soft shoe sand tap dance that he performs. I was just, again, I... It's too good, but he was not supposed to play that. Richard Pryor was no. supposed to be the, um, that role, and he just had his huge injury right before they started shooting. He went on a um, like cocaine binge and lit himself on fire. It was June 9th, 1980 when this happens. It was less than a month after History of the World Part 1 started production, so he was – it like already started filming. He was supposed to come, um, and he was freebasing cocaine – and I think he like poured, he had like a bunch of rum. So it was 150 proof rum. And that yeah. obviously led to that, that accident. So they were in a, um, a real pickle here, not having anyone. And it was Madeline Kahn who suggested Gregory Hines. She goes, do you know Gregory Hines? I'm like, no. And so they flew him in the next day 
and gave him a screen test and basically were like, look, no pressure, don't stress. But if this screen test goes well, you got the part. Like we need someone now. Yeah. And within two minutes of the screen test, they were like, just stop. You're stop stressing. And he was shooting the next day. Which love is kind of reminds I mean, me of I the Blazing Saddles situation with... Um, I was going to say, Richard Pryor and Brooks almost worked together so many times. Yeah. And I feel like it well, just always fell through. Yeah. not It's Gene Wilder, though. Like, the Gene Wilder for Blazing Saddles came in, literally flew in, and that day started shooting Blazing Saddles. And he was not supposed to do that but role. I, but it was kind of a... a the guy that originally played that part was actually an alcoholic, which is ironic because the role is an alcoholic. Yeah. And he couldn't handle himself. So Mel Brooks called up Gene Wilder and was like, can you fly out like right now and just start shooting? And so it's kind of a similar, I don't know, ish. ish. I, I think though, I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure... I'm going to do a very quick check here. I'm pretty sure because Richard Pryor co-wrote Blazing Saddles with him. But I think he was supposed to play the lead, but there was like an issue in that one. I think it was an issue where the studio was like unsure about Richard Pryor because he was such a controversial comedian. So they wanted someone that was like slightly safer. Um, I could he, be totally yeah, no, wrong Yeah, no, it says the that, casting but... was problematic. Richard Pryor was Brooks's original choice to play Sheriff Bart, but the studio, claiming the history of the drug, drug arrests made him unsurable, refused to approve financing for Pryor as a star. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's twice that he's almost worked. Like, it's kind of a shame because could you imagine if we had actually gotten mm -hmm. the combination of Mel Brooks's wit as a writer and, like, the brilliance With Richard Pryor. in which... Yeah, like Richard Pryor's just delivery of of lines has always been so good. And then so obviously good. Pryor and and Wilder together are we're so good together. Like that chemistry I mean, and connection. Her crazy and... is absolutely unbelievable. Like oh. so, yeah, it's it is a bummer. That's like the. But the, you know what? I, I wish we could live in that universe. But also, <laughs> maybe there's a multiverse. But also, I don't want to discredit the comedians that did get these roles. Both, no, they killed it. Um, it was Gregory Cleveland Hines. Yeah, I mean Gregory yeah. Hines was incredible and so it's like i i don't want to take away from the genius and then we'll go back to specific oh no i but i do wish that we lived in a world where at least one project came to fruition where richard fryer was reading you can't <laughs> have it dialogue. all matt you can't have it no, all no we cannot i mean this movie ends or this segment essentially ends with a giant marijuana joint getting everybody high as they drive by well, and when they go into the dance <laughs> when they're what is he uh Lindy Hoppus. He kept making them do that take over and over and over. It was uh, who? Who's the actor? I'm, I'm blanking here. Ron Carey told you know he's like we we can't do another, and he told Brooks that and he goes okay great one more and and then in an interview Mel Brooks goes ah. he goes I don't mind killing actors as long as I get what I need from them. I like them, but he said, if they die, hey, these things happen. That's <laughs> what he said in reference to that. And I was like, that couldn't be more of a perfect Mel Brooks statement right there. And I just kind of was laughing not to to say it's as an entertainer myself. And obviously, I've never been an actor on set per se, but I have been an actor on stage. I've been a performer in things. There is this kind of very like from a director's mindset, it, we're very disposable and they kind of don't give a shit how you're feeling. They just want their product. And that's Look, why- early Early it, into our friendship, I would frequently text you whenever you were feeling down the line of dialogue that I love so much from fame, where he's like, we're pie in the face people. Like, they wouldn't even bury us a couple of years ago. <laughs> like, exactly. it's like, there is a truth. It's like being a comedian, being 
an actor. It's, it's like easy. you are just disposable. No, <laughs> I disposable was I was creature. at a game night last night with a bunch of friends who perform at Disney. We're all actors, singers, like you know. It's yeah. and uh, somehow the topic came up of what who what we really are. And we're like we are the court jesters. We're like if we were in the medieval times, we're like we are the fucking court jesters. But one of the girls was like, "Hey, at least we're in the castle." And I was like, "Okay, yeah. hey." That's I I like that optimism. Yeah. Um I forgot I I do forget frequently though that this Roman Empire segment leads into probably the second most famous bit in the movie which is the last supper routine oh, is Oh to god. This. Jesus. What? <laughs> what? 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 Yes. Jesus. Yes. What? <laughs> it's just and like I so I was laughing so hard. I love that. Him, the the painting when he's done the group portrait and he's behind him with Trey. <laughs> it's too good. It's and it's that Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks has such a like he's just got this big goofy smile that makes you laugh instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So him just back there <laughs> holding it out like it's so he's so funny. I think we talked about this when we did Young Frankenstein, but I do think that there is truth. And Gene Wilder's reasoning for not wanting Mel Brooks in that movie being like, it is you people are incapable of looking you, at you and you, taking you seriously. Yes, a thousand percent, <laughs> which makes him so perfect for all these roles, roles. And yeah. it's like it it adds that extra just absurdity, but it is true. Like he, I think it was the best thing for him not to be in young Frankenstein because <laughs> it just would have broken um, that that realism of like, oh, it is Frankenstein. And yeah. Yeah. But then we get the Inquisition song, which like we've kind of it's a great bit, but I mean, we've pretty much already said all you can. It's a great musical number about the Inquisition. That's pretty it's much the whole thing. Hilarious. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think, I think it's obviously one of another, probably people will be like, oh, the Inquisition number is, is something that they would talk about in remembrance. And I always did too. It was like, oh, the Inquisition so funny, but I don't think I had enough appreciation for it until I rewatched it this time that I was like, this is actually beyond genius in so many ways because and it's like i said earlier where he goes you almost have to take the biggest tragedies and make them into the biggest jokes because it's so bad that it's almost the only way to approach it and it's it's just done so beautifully to the extent of turning it into like an esther williams mgm water production and let's bring in the nuns and they all dive in the pool i was like yeah it, it's well that's but i think that that's like the brilliance of juxtaposition when done correctly there is nothing funnier in the world mm -hmm. and it's like let's take because because it's like twofold right like there's like a shock and all to it right but there's also that element of like you're watching it and there's a part of you that's like i could see someone actually be having the gall to make a musical about the inquisition like we've made musicals about damn near everything so it's almost like part of the joke is like why wouldn't someone do a giant big broadway musical show mm -hmm. about the inquisition like like who's to stop them where it like comes into this thing where there's the juxtaposition of combining this happy music with like a truly horrible thing I but mean, then it's there is that little bit of satire of like we literally there's literally a princess diana musical that you can watch now that is someone made a big musical show based around her death and it's like not no we don't do that like 
you got yeah, like, there's a happy medium and that's where we're not doing a whole musical literally on yeah. these things it's like a song in it and it but my I don't point know. is that's not a joke they didn't oh, do a yeah. princess diana musical as a joke i'm They're sick doing of everything that's becoming sincerity. a musical i'm like are you fucking serious and that's what i mean i think that even even in 1981 mel brooks had already seen like if you leave people to their own devices they'll turn anything into a musical so what's the most horrific thing that someone could turn into a musical and he landed on the Spanish Inquisition and it's, it's kind of brilliant. Which is why, I mean, it goes back to another thing he did, which I already mentioned earlier in the producers. It, it's the same yeah. effect as springtime for Hitler in Germany. And it's yeah. nothing is funnier because you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing it. But it's it's just, it's so great. It's brilliant. And um, he actually, he wrote, uh, Ronnie Graham was, who wrote the song with Brooks and they were castmates together in a Broadway review called New Faces of 1952. They became fast friends. And so once he decided that he was going to do a musical medieval torture number in this movie, he reached out to, to Ronnie Graham. And uh, he said, together we began a fierce collaboration on a song called The Inquisition. And he goes, well, the rest is history. But uh, Ronnie does have a cameo as one of the Jewish prisoners in in the movie and i love that part where they're all locked up and they're all no no yeah. no no like it just that never gets old to me no, no, so no. so i do think that this movie has a lot of every time i watch it i think it has a lot of um like monty python energy like there's yeah, a lot of yeah. elements that make me think of life of brian and like monty python the holy grail specifically those two movies feel very in the similar style. So what I always think of during the Inquisition scene isn't actually in this movie. It's in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, but it's one of my favorite jokes in the whole, <laughs> in the whole movie, which is the Knights of the round table song. And they're doing this big musical yes. number about being knights, but then it just cuts to the guy in the dungeon, just going <laughs> with his hands, like up in the shackles, like clapping along to the tune. And it's like, it's like the one joke that I wish made it into the Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> sequence is like all of the music cutting out and the just like the one person Clap. clapping. Yeah, you can't, well, I was going to say he couldn't, he can't do it because it's already been done. But Mel did say yeah. he was talking about something else. I think that he did in the French Revolution kind of a la different movie. That's stole, the next segment anyway. Yeah, 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 we can but, kind of roll right in there. Perfect. Yeah. Great transition. But um, he's talking about, oh, I think I stole this from this movie, this, that. And he goes, I steal a lot, but I always make it better. So I'm forgiven. And I, <laughs> and I love that quote. Cause I was like, that's a, again, so him, but I love that kind of like cocky arrogance that Mel Brooks has. Cause it just works with his whole character. And it's like, yeah. he says stuff like that. No one else could say it and you wouldn't love them more. But Mel Brooks says this shit and you're just like, Fuck, I love you. Yes. he. I mean, if you're going to steal, you better improve. There's mm -hmm. nothing worse than when someone steals a bit and makes it worse. Uh, yeah. The French Revolution is not one that is not one that I, I always forget about this segment. I feel like oh, I don't. it's just because I love the Roman Empire and the Inquisition so much that then this kind of like dips out of my brain. But I feel like great. my dad and I always would piss boy like that. That's a running yeah. joke in my family is the piss boy. And so actually, though, they didn't film. Um, it looks like, you know, they filmed in Versailles and they're supposed to be there, but they filmed that in an English palace. So the whole movie was filmed in the U.S. except this one section was filmed at... Blenheim Palace in Woodstock, Oxshire, England, about 65 minutes northwest of London. Um, and that is an early 18th century was built then where the Duke of 
Marlborough. I don't know. It was historically resided. I don't know who the fuck that is. But anyways, it's a British palace. It looks beautiful. Um, I love the chess scene. I absolutely love it. Jump the queen. Yeah. Pawns. Jump the queen. <laughs> Gang bang. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where, you know, probably one of his most, we know that Mel Brooks loves to reuse lines in multiple movies, be it walk this way or kind of those, you know, I have a hump, I have a mole, but uh, the line here, the it's good yeah. to be the king. Great. I mean, it's so good yeah. and, and it does get used again in, in Men in Tights, but he also talks in an interview. He's like, God, it was, it was nice going up to these women and just grinding up or bumping against and look straight into the camera and just it's good to be the king and he's saying yeah it was nice to do that <laughs> i'm just it's i mean it's got a great ca another one great cast you've got cloris leachman in there you've got harvey mm -hmm. corman in there harvey corman i mean um, old you've got spike milligan in there like you've got a lot of big comics from the 70s into mm -hmm. the 80s all doing their thing i mean this is there's no way you could never convince me that people weren't having the fucking time of their life making this movie because it just seems I think if I could like have so much life. I always ask my time machine if you can go anywhere this that like if I had a wish I definitely like wish I could just any Mel Brooks movie be on set for the entirety of the making yeah. of the film probably Young Frankenstein after hearing about that but it of course they had a great time and I'm sure they were laughing their asses off one of my favorite scene or lines that I think for some reason the way it's delivered the line that made me like spit my drink out laughing is when he goes you look like the piss boy and he goes and you look like a bucket of shit <laughs> I just <laughs> like it's the way Mel Brooks delivers that it I like oh man my water was out of my mouth i was like this it's you know it's weird though i'm looking at like the critical the i had no clue how much this was hated by the critics yeah no it but, didn't like, do that well and now of course it's a no. you know cult classic kind of a, or, or just classic it's not even a cult classic i was like just in stitches when he's talking and he's talking about like i don't think the peasants like me or, or whatever and he's like but I think, you know, they're great. Paul! And he's doing his skeet shoot and it's just people <laughs> flying. Ah! I was dying. I, that was another kind of back to that kind of like extreme humor of like, oh my God. But it just goes to the extent of showing like how much that actually that uh, aristocrat, excuse me, obviously I've been working at Disney way too long. Well, the Aristocat, um, you know what the fuck I'm saying. I, I just, it's, it's such a, a great moment and the timing of the, them yelling. It was great. No, I agree. And then, Oh, you know what it was? Sorry. I, I found out Spaceballs won the worst picture it ballad was, award yes. in 1987. Yeah. Same, same awards. They had it out for Mel man. Um, but then after the French revolution, they, escape to the words the end <laughs> on, yes and, and then we get the preview of what's to come in part two i'm pretty confident we won't get any of those in this tv series but i would imagine not oh yeah sorry i just i i kind of uh did a bad job writing down my favorite moments but i love when he's at the guillotine and he's like any last requests uh, and he goes, yeah, request for Novocaine. He goes, there's no such yeah. thing known in medical science. I'll wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's going to be, nope. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they pull out, uh, what they pull out with this. So hopefully it's a great little mini series and we get wait. history of the world part three and part four and, that would be and awesome. many, many more. 
Um, but this is exciting because Brooks hasn't really written in a long time anything like this in a really long time. And apparently early reviews, Rotten Tomatoes, based on 13 critic scores, uh, have it at an 85% approval rating so far. So mm. that's not bad. So fingers crossed. I'm I'm really excited and hopeful. But uh, we'll be back after these commercials to uh, wrap up the episode. Mm-mm-mm. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers? Listen to Ninety-One Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! You know, Gelsey, we're just rocking our way through Mel's filmography. We've done a Young Frankenstein episode. We've done a Spaceballs episode. I'm still, uh, I still can't believe, and I say this every fucking time, that we haven't done Blazing Saddles. I was like money on it. We were going to do it next. And when you were like, how about Mel Brooks? And I was like, here we go. Blazing Saddles. And you're like, so History of the World Part 2 is coming out. And I was like, History of the World Part 1 is what we're doing. <laughs> I totally get it. I understand. I'm glad we did it. I laughed my ass off, as always. But um it's gonna be Blazing Saddles next, folks. It has to. It, it has, has to, be. to be. It's There's, my favorite. What are we gonna do? Silent movie? Like, yeah, like, no. High anxiety. Like high anxiety. No. Like I like these movies, but, but not. No, not my favorite. Yeah. My favorite is Blazing Saddles, and we have to do it. But um, maybe you have a different opinion. Maybe you think there's a Mel Brooks movie that we should hit instead. Maybe you're like Men in Tights, and I'm like, no, that was made in the 90s, and I was born, you guys. But if you have another opinion of what we should do next, tell us on Instagram. You can find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just type in Before My Time. We will pop up right on our wall. Leave us a DM, comment on our post. Tell us what you think we should cover next, Mel Brooks, or tell us your favorite part of History of the World Part 1. And then let's all talk about History of the World Part 2. Let's all watch it and then come together and be like, what did you think? Or we can all just type ha, 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 LOL, because that's what we're going to be saying when we watch it. Yeah, no spoilies. No spoilies. Uh -uh. Yeah, no spoilies, (laughs) because maybe like I was busy and I had to work and you watched it and I didn't, and then I'll be pissed and I'll be like, ah, and then my whole life's going to be seeking revenge on you fucking it up for me. On that note, thank you so much for listening each and every week. I love you all so much. Hope you're enjoying your life. And see you back next week. Bye.
Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to Ninety-One Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at NinetyOneDonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.